0: Hello, and welcome to Fire Away, Rudner Law's online Q&A show focused on the employment law matters, the issues that matter to you. My name is Stuart Rudner. I'm an employment lawyer and mediator and your host of Fire Away. Just a reminder, Fire Away streams online every month, and our episodes are always available on our YouTube channel, our Facebook page, and on our website. If you have any questions, we'd be happy to try to get them today. Feel free to either post them in comments on Facebook or on YouTube or tweet them to at Rudner Law. And as always, we have a guest and I'm very excited today to have Dan McGarry join us. Dan is a director of HR at the Global Wood Group. More importantly, Dan is a tremendously experienced HR professional with extensive knowledge of employment laws, employment standards, occupational health and safety. He is a true resource and someone that I've spoken with on many occasions uh, publicly at the HRPA annual conference. And my biggest challenge with Dan as a guest on this show was figuring out what topic we should cover because he could discuss almost anything. So Dan, thanks for joining us today.
1: Thank you, Stuart. And I hope I don't disappoint. And uh, in regards to your uh, introduction to me, I'm also a post-secondary instructor, and this is very pertinent because of the different generations and how they view social media and their access to it and uh, and how they treat it. And there's a the perfect segue to what we're going to talk about today, which is
0: partially social media. We're going to be talking about off-duty or problematic off-duty conduct, which can include social media, uh, and what employers should be doing as far as dealing with candidates, with current employees. Uh, And also things like whether you become friends with your employees on Facebook and things like that, and uh, whatever else we can cover in the next 20 minutes or so. So Dan, thanks again for joining us. And I want to start off by talking about uh, uh, a very interesting situation that I was interviewed on CBC recently about, and I don't know if we have a graphic uh, or an article on this one. This is the City of Hamilton employee uh, who was recently discovered to have been a former leader of a neo-Nazi group. And uh, when this broke, and it was one of the former city councillors who really made this public, made headlines, caused a lot of consternation amongst the uh, folks in the city of Hamilton because you've got someone who's not only an employee of the city, but an employee in the IT department of the city with access to confidential information of not only employees, but residents and other people of influence in the city, including city councillors. So this made headlines, not surprisingly, there were immediately calls for the person to be fired. Uh, the city has adopted a, a wait-and-see, or at least an investigate-and-see approach of they're going to look to see what's actually happening. What's interesting here is usually when we talk about employees misbehaving online or publicly off-duty, it's current behavior. So-and-so did something last night, and should the employer do something about it? And just, you know, before I get to, uh, to Dan, I just want to make it clear that so everyone understands this. You know, the law despite the fact that we're now seeing a lot of people disciplined or dismissed because of on, online conduct, the reality is the law has not changed at all in the last many, many decades. The law has always been that by default, whatever you do online is your own business, or off, I should say off-duty is your own business. However, there have always been exceptions, and there has always been the potential for discipline or dismissal for off-duty conduct if it impacts the employer or the employment repu- or employment relationship. So if you're going online and doing something that will impact your employer's reputation, that can be cause for discipline. If you're going online and bashing your boss or your manager, that can be t- cause for dismissal. One of the examples, and I know Dan and I've talked about this offline, is uh, the, the, the Ontario Hydro employee who was on camera outside a Toronto FC soccer game yelling at a female reporter, offensive, misogynistic comments. And uh, even though this had nothing to do with his job, he was not wearing an Ontario Hydro shirt Everyone knew where he worked, so it has an impact on the reputation of the company. Company decided to take immediate action and fired him. That was done largely as a PR move. Uh, Ultimately, as many people may not be aware, he was reinstated after he grieved the termination. But the point was this had an impact on the employment relationship and on the employer, and the employer took immediate action to distance themselves and make it clear they don't tolerate that type of conduct. So getting back to the City of Hamilton employee, Dan. Uh, What would you do if something like this happened to your company, where you found out that one of your employees was
1: previously known as a head of a neo-Nazi group or something equally offensive? Well, I'm going to uh, go to this in sort of a roundabout way, uh, Stuart, because you, of course, uh, alluded to the Milhaven Fibers case, which sets the ground rules for off-duty misconduct. And that case was decided in 1967. So. We're, we're talking roughly 52 years out of date, if you remember what technology was like in 1967. I have to admit I don't. But <laughs> Well, I remember my first uh, cell phone, and I was paying, I think I paid $2,500 for it, and 50 cents a minute, and the battery was good for 15 minutes. So we've greatly advanced. Uh, regard, uh, regarding the Sean Samoz case, uh, uh, there was... Uh, Part of the uproar was the fact that he was on the sunshine list, and you felt that uh, somebody who was on the the public payroll for that much money should be a little bit more mature and aware of his surroundings. Uh, Somebody uh, replicated what he did just recently after a Toronto Raptors game, and was immediately dismissed, and we don't know if, I believe he was non-union, so he's probably going to be out of luck. There will be no reinstatement. Yeah, although he uh, may not claim for wrongful dismissal. Yes, that's correct. Yeah, he may call you, (laughs) but uh, (laughs) Uh, regarding the city of Hamilton, uh, we mentioned briefly before there is a paid hockey coach at British Columbia who was uh, dismissed for neo-Nazi postings. And rather than uh, follow what the city of Hamilton employee did, which is denounce and say that he's no longer believing in that, this hockey coach, after losing his job, went full on Nazi and has become very uh, direct in his uh, hate postings. Now, uh, with technology, the employer has far more access to information. We've almost gone back to the 19th century where you hired people based on you knew their family going back for decades because they lived in the small town Hmm. and they needed the, the reference from the local upper class. We have access to everybody Past where if it's online, it never disappears. Right. But it seems, yeah, it seems that in our hiring processes, uh, there is no set format yet for a lot of different companies on the type of checks that they do to ensure that they don't fall in or step into this type of minefield. Uh, Previously, we had all kinds, and I could cite dozens and dozens of cases of people being hired who lied about their credentials. The Toronto Stock Exchange hired somebody to a senior executive role who claimed to have an MBA and didn't. York University of all places hired somebody who became a VP who claimed to have a degree, which he didn't hold, from a university that doesn't even exist. Now, how hard would it have been for them to have fact-checked that? Uh, A quick social network search of public domain information is something that companies should be conducting on a regular basis as part of their pre-screening.
0: So let me ask you, Dan, have you have there been cases where you've chosen not to hire someone because of things that you
1: found online? I don't want to go into my specifics based on confidentiality, but let's just say that we do a complete uh, screening of what's available. Now, there are other issues that come, uh, we, we come upon because we're such a diverse, multicultural environment in Toronto. Uh, you may have people who are posting in their, their native or their, their birth language, or even not even in our alphabet, but in the alphabet of their, their birth language. So uh, how intrusive is it to then have this translated? And then what about the dark net? Hmm. They might be posting things on, on you know, these secretive sites. Do you go into those sites, and do you really want your company uh, internet server exposed to these sites? Because who knows what sort of malware or spyware can then be embedded into yours. Right.
0: Department. Although I guess you can get a third party because I know there are companies that will do those checks for you. So that's uh, and do do you know of, of companies that are going onto the dark web as part of their hiring process?
1: Uh no public companies, but I'm sure that there's a lot of uh, companies that are involved in, say, special government that should be doing it if they're not. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I said this just before the show started. I was doing a
0: presentation last night for the HRPA in Toronto, and our our crowd was not as large as we'd hoped because of the Toronto Raptors celebration, but we still had a decent crowd. And I was talking about the hiring process, and I still, we're now in 2019, I still get pushback when I say, you should be doing a social media check before you hire anyone. I still have people say, are we really allowed to do that? Or should we do that? And that often leads to a a bit of a philosophical debate, but my view, and I think I know you share this view, is that it's public information. There's nothing wrong with going out reviewing what's publicly available. You then make your decision as appropriate, uh, but there's nothing wrong with getting that information. So bring it back somewhat to the, the City of Hamilton employee, this is not a hiring situation, this is someone who's been employed for many years and whether or not this information could have been disclosed or discovered when he was hired, not the point anymore. The point is, it's now come to light. And I've seen similar situations where you've got somebody who's employed and now you have an employee who comes to HR and says, I just found out that so-and-so who works you know, down the hall from me is a neo-Nazi or posts these horrible misogynistic comments online or posts so you know, violent videos online, and I don't feel safe working with that individual. So how does an, someone in HR handle that type of situation?
1: Well, you you just mentioned the words that make it cross the line. I do not feel safe because that, that of course was under the different. Occupational Health and Safety Act, we now have our duty and obligations to ensure that it's a safe workplace. Mm-hmm. And every company under provincial jurisdiction has to have a policy regarding investigating these and must investigate and there was just a recent article in the Globe and Mail
0: about- uh, I'll, I'll just get you off for one second, Dan, just to be clear, that's Ontario jurisdiction because yes. we have people across the country. That's Ontario, which is has a mandatory investigation. But I, I think you and I would both agree as a best practice, even okay. if you're not in Ontario, you're, once you hear those words or hear that there's a risk of safety or this
1: harassment, you're going to want to investigate. Of course, yes. And, and then it becomes a, uh, an obligation that if there has been an act of harassment, an act of violence, that then crosses the line and you have probably just cause, proportionality, everything else. But I, I would make Maybe. the case. If you're a good HR person and you want to find a way to make the case, you're going to make the case.
0: Yeah. Well, you may take a run at it, but as you and I know, <laughs> you, may, you may not succeed. So, and, I mean, it's an important point to make um, just because you find out someone's done something wrong, even if it is particularly egregious that doesn't necessarily mean you have just cause. And, yep. and you mentioned proportionality, it's also contextual. You do have to look at things like how long the, the person was employed, whether they have a record before. There's a whole lot that goes into it. I'm not sure if you can see it behind me, but my, my book on just cause is there. It's about this thick uh, because of how complex the law is. But you know, to your point, when, once you make that decision, you don't want the person there anymore. You know, it's only a matter of how, you know, you may have to package them out. You may have to give them some money, but you're not going to keep them in the, uh, in the company. I just want to digress. I know you're familiar with this case. It's the uh, EV logistics case from uh, out West. And this was also a neo-Nazi case. And this to me is still a fascinating decision because in that case, what happened fairly quickly is one employee went to HR and said, we as a group have found out that one of our colleagues has a website, or a blog I think it was actually, that strongly supported the neo-Nazi ideology, idealized Hitler, basically confirmed and had offensive comments about a number of races that were represented in the workplace. And as a group they said, we're not comfortable, we don't feel safe working with this guy. So the company fired him, Uh, and in that case there was a wrongful dismissal claim, and the individual won. And what was fascinating to me is I always thought that if there was a safety concern amongst the colleagues, that would basically win the day and that the the dismissal would be upheld. What seems to have happened in that case, and you you have to read between the lines somewhat in the judgment, is the individual in question was a very young guy who lived at home, either with his mother or his grandmother, clearly had a difficult life, immediately took the blog down. And was quite apologetic and it seems as though the judge looked at this guy as being far more Naive than evil if I can put it that way and truly believed that although he put up all these offensive posts. There was no Intent there was no no issue or no concern that he would become violent Uh or in any way would act upon those beliefs. So that to me is still a bit of an anomaly Uh, But it's a similar case to the city of hamilton one or others that we've seen where you know, either past or current off duty conduct comes to light. And it, even though it's not, it's still offensive, it's not just cause to
1: fire the person. Well, it goes down to remorse, admitting mm-hmm. what happened, and chances of reoffending, mm-hmm. okay, which are all contextual and looked at as well. And in the example that you just gave, those all come into play. In the Hamilton case, he says he's no longer, and those were old posts. Mm-hmm. So again, uh, the city has to look at that, and then we also have to look at, is it a union or non-union workplace? Yeah, well, that's a
0: municipality, I assume it's union, um, yes. but uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, it, And you know, the problem, of course, is that as soon as the story breaks, if you go online, if you listen to talk radio, you've got everyone yelling for this person to be fired immediately. Yeah. Uh, and I think the city did the right thing by saying, we're not going to do that, but we are going to look into it, because like you said, he claims to have renounced those views. Maybe he has. And I think it's also important to note, and I forget exactly how long he's there, but he's not a new employee. He's been there for a while and there have been no incidents that have been reported, no issues of him disclosing or taking confidential information. So that will certainly weigh in his favor to say he's been employed for a long time.
1: So this should not be cause for dismissal. Exactly. Yeah, that's very, very true. I mean, you have to look at the past behavior. He has he hasn't crossed the line in the workplace. He hasn't crossed the line recently. And he says that he's no longer following that. So, uh, and you, you have, to, you know, the duty of, uh, you, you have to uh, believe him in this case, unless you can prove that he's lying to you. Yeah. And, and look, if
0: he's lying, there probably would be evidence. I mean, it gets back to to the point you you made the very start of the show, which is, you know, now employers have this wealth of information available to them. Uh, so there'd probably be something online that would indicate that he is still involved with that movement if he is uh, So let me let me switch the question around a bit so We've talked a bit about uh, the hiring stage and doing the background that checks um, What's your and I don't want to get into specifics of your company But do you know that, of companies that are doing ongoing
1: checks of what their employees are doing online? Yes uh, We actually have in our terms and conditions of employment social media and and, uh, and, uh, company-supplied equipment Hmm. uh, terms in there, which allows us to check because, as you know, there is a reasonable expectation of privacy now on um, employer-supplied equipment. And uh, some companies I know, uh, when you sign on each day, it pops up what's required and you have to agree before you go in. So the the company can continue to see what you're doing with their equipment. As far as ongoing searches on people's social media and Facebook, uh, we don't conduct that. And I'm not quite sure uh, of any companies that do it on a regular basis, but there is a generational issue here. As uh, I mentioned, I I teach. And so I have... uh, access to students from all different age groups. And you have the, uh, one of the generations at least, uh, make their entire life public and Mm. they don't seem to be able to discern (laughs) the difference between public and and private uh, activities. And uh, this can create a real problem uh, not only in the, if you're doing checks after, but also in the pre-screening, because it gives you information to all kinds of protected grounds. And so when does this cross the line that you know different uh, things about them that you shouldn't know about them? Uh, I, I think that uh, they really should receive more training in this sort of thing. You're talking about the uh, individuals or, or HR? both <laughs> <laughs> good answer i know and i know we've
0: talked about this before i mean that's you know that's the risk with doing the social media check is you may stumble upon information that covers or touches upon protected grounds like it's very easy to go on facebook and find out the person's religion or that they have kids or that they are undergoing chemo treatment for cancer or are trying to have kids right. and then the biggest risk is now that you know of course you can't unknow Uh, And if you choose not to hire them for perfectly legitimate reasons, they might turn around and say, well, I know that you found out that I have cancer, and I believe that's part of the reason why you didn't hire me. So HR needs training on that point. And I mean, the one or two pieces of advice that I always give, and I'm sure you've probably heard me say this before. One is do the social media check, but it should never be the person making the hiring decision who does it. Have a third party do the check and filter out all the irrelevant information, give the decision maker a report that has information relevant to the hiring, to the job, so that if you're ever cross-examined, you can quite honestly say, I had no idea this person had children or cancer, or whatever the case may be. And the second point is, make a note of all of your reasons for either hiring or not hiring. So, we chose not to hire Dan, not because of his religion, but because of the fact that he didn't have enough experience. Um, so that way, if you're ever called or cross-examined six months or a year later, and you may have forgotten that candidate, you'll have clear notes
1: as to why you made your decision. Plausible deniability is. <laughs>
0: yeah, no, it's, it's a it's a really it's a really great point that you make about that. And uh, I, I was going to you, you mentioned policies briefly. I wanted to come back to that because uh, yeah, I see it's very common to have policies for use of corporate equipment, um, but. I mean, I'm certainly recommending for our clients that they have policies about off-duty conduct. You know, we'll have a discipline policy which says you can, in certain circumstances, be disciplined for off-duty conduct. And also go further and say that, you know, we have the right to look online and see what you're up to. And if it is anything that impacts our reputation, our relationship, then you may be disciplined for that as well. Uh, So, I think it's very important to make that clear to all of your employees that they can't claim they had no idea. that. what they do on their own
1: time could come back to haunt them. And of course, depending upon their level of fiduciary, uh, they're held to different standards. Right? A, a An entry-level person will be held to a much different standard than somebody who is a corporate controller or somebody who represents the company publicly. Absolutely. I mean,
0: if you're the face of the company, then It's gonna be a much higher standard, but it it could even be a lower level employee if they are I mean, you know the the worst one is still uh, to me anyways the Amanda Todd situation from many years ago And Amanda Todd as many people know was a teenage girl who was bullied online eventually committed suicide And there was a Facebook page put up uh, in her memory and somebody went online on that page and wrote a comment That said thank God the blank is dead Um, and so horrific, also stupid because of course it's Facebook, so everybody could identify who posted it and I think it took about an hour for people to figure out where the person worked. Uh, Mr. And then, Big and Tall. <laughs> Big and Tall Menswear. Uh, yeah. So someone reached out to Big and Tall Menswear and said, this is what your employee is posting online and we, we know that that he no longer works there. Uh, I never heard of a claim, so I'm not sure if he got any money or not, but... Uh, to your point, I mean, that's the type of thing you want to regulate, uh, because even though I don't know what his role was at Big and Tall Men's Wear, I mean, I'm not sure if he was in sales, he wasn't the face of the company, no. but he was
1: fired because he could have damaged rep- the reputation. Reputation of the company, of the company. yes. Exactly. And and then we're going back now, this is 2011 or 2012 so this yeah. is not not a subject or topic that is is should be new to hr practitioners uh th- this is uh something that's uh, has been an emerging for probably a decade yeah uh, absolutely you're 100
0: right and yet a lot of people are still not really haven't turned their minds to this yet so and like you said education on both sides is necessary i'm, I'm mindful of time because as i said it would the time has flown by <laughs> And we did promise we'd at least touch upon the issue of what do you do in HR when people in the company want to be your friend on Facebook or your connection on LinkedIn or uh, follow you on Instagram
1: or whatever social media I'm not even aware of yet. Uh, How do you handle that? Well, I actually host information sessions for at least one college prospective HR students. And one of the first things we ask is, why do you want to be HR? And if they tell me it's because I'm a people person, I then ask them to go into sales or marketing (laughs) because they've they've chosen the wrong profession. As an HR professional, you are privy to confidential information. You are involved in disciplines. You are involved in dismissals. And therefore, I don't believe as an HR professional that you should be socializing with people that you work with. Because at one point or another, there's going to be the time when you were going to have to sit across the table from them for a, a reason that might upset them. So uh, having too much knowledge of your, your life, your personal life is not something that I would highly, I would recommend at all. And then we, we also talked about uh, as a teacher How much should I have with a student? And the Ontario Learn internet teaching program uh, in your contract, you are required to only communicate with students via the college email system. You can't go on any social media, telephone, personal meetings, no other communication with them. And so it's kept strictly on a professional basis.
0: Yeah, which makes sense, and I think you made some great points there, and I'll, I'll ask the one follow-up question that I often get, because I, I usually make similar points, that if you're an HR, and even though you may be a people person, and Dan, I, I actually think you are a people person, um, and you can have great relationships with many of your staff, but yeah, you probably don't want to be connected on Facebook and learn a lot about their, their personal life. The question I often get back is, okay, what about LinkedIn? Can I connect with them on LinkedIn?
1: LinkedIn is a different And I think it's, it's based on a professional basis and that I would say you can with your coworkers and, and, uh, and people such as that LinkedIn, I think is acceptable. Just don't use it to disperse personal information.
0: Yeah, I think that's great advice and it's probably a good place for us to, uh, to wrap up for now, so Dan, uh, as we know, we could have gone on for hours. <laughs> yeah. And uh, for those who don't know, Dan and I, is it three years in a row now we've done the HRPA conference? Correct. Yeah, yeah three years in a row now, the HRPA annual conference, which is the largest HR uh, conference in Canada. And Dan and I have been on the agenda with no with, with no agenda and no <laughs> scripts, no slide deck. It's been an open Q&A session and uh, has gone over tremendously well. Uh, and we have just answered whatever questions uh, people have had. So that's why I said that, you know, I could have had you on to discuss any topic, Dan. Uh, but thanks for being on today. I really, uh, I really appreciate
1: you joining us. Well, thank you very much. Uh, hope to do this again sometime. Sounds great. Okay. Thank you. All right. And uh, Rob, I guess now it's uh,
0: my chance to fire away. All right, so my topic today, this is directed to individuals, and it's more of a plea than a rant. Please stop treating your employment contracts as a formality. And Rob, if you could put up that uh, that graphic we talked about. So we are all used to seeing something like this online. You wanna read an article, see a video, and this comes up and this is what stands in between you and reading or seeing whatever it is you wanna see. So what do we all do when we see this type of thing? We click I agree uh, without reading it. Or if, it, if it's one of those that makes you scroll down, we scroll through it and then click on I agree without even reading it, uh, which is, I mean, some other lawyers may disagree. That's the reality of what we do. The problem is that's what most people are effectively doing with their employment contracts. They're being handed a piece of paper or probably several pieces of paper, and they're just signing it without even reading it. And unlike those online things where maybe you're trying to, you know, get through that uh, web page on one simple trick to lose belly fat or whatever it is that you're going to, this is your livelihood. This is your job. This is your career. This is an employment contract which will fundamentally establish or remove your rights as an employee. It's critical, and it's it's it actually shocks us, you know, within Rudner law how often people sign off on these contracts without even taking the time to review them, let alone have them reviewed by an employment lawyer. Um, And this is true for everyone. I mean, we have seen senior executives, HR professionals, lawyers, all of whom have signed off on contracts that dramatically impacted their rights without even giving it a second thought. Uh, And the argument I often get is, well, I saw it, but, I I didn't bother going to see a lawyer because I assumed the company knew what it was doing. Uh, And what I always say is, yeah, they did. And what they were doing was protecting their interests. There is very rarely a contract, an employment contract, that is designed to protect the employee's interests. If you're being asked to sign a contract, it's generally for the benefit of the company. Uh, I'll give you a couple of quick examples of what we typically see. Biggest one is termination clauses. People sign away their common law rights to severance in these contracts. So imagine that you're employed for eight, 10, 15 years, and now there's gonna be a downsizing, and you get a severance package, and you get eight weeks. And we've had people sitting in this boardroom, and they start off by being convinced that it's a mistake. The company must have screwed up. I've been there for 15 years. They owed me far more than eight weeks. And we have to explain to them that no, when you started, way back when, you signed a contract that limited your entitlement to the employment standards minimum. So eight weeks, or whatever the case may be, is all that you're entitled to. And then to add add insult to injury, we often see the same person who has, they just got their eight weeks of termination pay, but they also agreed to a non-compete clause for two years. So they're now being told they're gonna get eight weeks of pay, but they can't basically work in their industry for two years. And yes, I'm sure some of you are thinking that's probably not enforceable. It's very possible you can challenge that non-compete, but it's gonna cost you a whole lot of time and a whole lot of money to do so. Uh, whereas if you'd read it at the, begin- at the beginning, you may well have been able to take it out and not have to go through that fight. Uh, or we've also seen people who have been signed off on clauses that say you can be relocated to any of our locations. So they just got noticed notice that effective two months from now, they're being transferred in one case from Toronto to New Brunswick and another case from New Brunswick to Vancouver. And they don't even have the right compensation for their moving costs because the contract was very clear that they're on the hook for that. These are the types of things that we see far too often, um, and I hate to say this, but at the hiring stage, although everyone's excited about the new job, it's not the time for trust. Uh, it's also amazing to me how often I hear stories about how someone was promised something, and they're told by the hiring manager that, well, I can't put this in writing, but I, mean, I know we're starting you at a low salary. Six months from now, you know, we're going to review re- your salary, or don't worry, I know that our policy says that nobody can work from home, but you, you can work from home two or three days a week. That's not a problem or I know that you're leaving your current job and giving up a big bonus, we're gonna give you a bonus to make up for that. If it's not in writing, it's not in your contract, you have no right to it. So please don't trust the company in that regard. Employers are getting far more aggressive with contracts uh, and you, if you get the job, don't, even though you're excited about getting the job, don't just sign off because you're probably signing away significant rights if you do. And one thing I often, one objection I often get is, well, Who cares? You know, I know the company's not going to negotiate with me. So what's the point? I can tell you quite honestly that we've helped a lot of people to renegotiate that initial offer. And a lot of times companies will just give it a shot. They will try to impose a very oppressive contract knowing that if the person comes back, they'll negotiate. So in many cases, things are negotiable. If it's not, at least you're going to go in with your eyes open knowing what you're giving up up, and then you can make your decision. Uh, So I know it sounds self-serving you need to go see an employment lawyer before you sign your contract, not your cousin who practices tax law or your neighbor who does real estate law, someone who specializes in employment law. And quick message to employers on a similar subject, if you're gonna go through the process of putting contracts in place, make sure they're enforceable. Because the other thing that, that surprises us here at Rudner Law is how often people have contracts that if challenged would never hold up in court, either because they're badly worded maybe they were downloaded offline, maybe they're taken from someone's previous job, uh, or they're badly implemented. And I could go on for an hour about that, but the worst example and the most common thing is this. You hire someone, they show up for their first day of work, you hand them their contract and ask them to sign it. At that point, it's too late. They already had a verbal agreement, and that's why they're there that day, because you hired them and they accepted. That's a verbal contract, you can't just replace it with a written contract unless you give them something new. So have them sign the contract before they have been hired. Otherwise, that contract that you have, probably not worth the paper it's printed on. So that's my two cents worth for today, and uh, you got it here for free. That's all the time we have for uh, today's episode of Fire Away. I wanna thank Dan McGarry again for joining me for a great conversation, which could have gone on a lot longer, but I think we covered some really interesting points about how you deal with uh, off-duty conduct, whether it's current employees or what people did in the past. Our next episode is going to be on July 16th. I'm going to be joined by Richard Sellis, who's a senior financial consultant with Investors Group. If you have any questions that uh, you'd like to ask in the meantime or suggestions for future show topics, you can send me an email at info at RudnerLaw.ca. do want to remind everyone that past episodes are always available on YouTube, YouTube, on our website, and on Facebook. And if you like our page or subscribe to our channels, then you'll receive notifications. Also, invite everyone to keep in touch with Redner Law in between fireway shows. Uh, you can sign up for our newsletter uh, and that way you'll get notifications of everything that we're up to as well as updates on employment law. Um, but as I always say, please remember that none of this replaces legal advice. If you think you might need an employment lawyer, such as when you get your offer of employment or when you're drafting your contracts, if you think you might need an employment lawyer, you probably do, so please feel free to reach out to us and we'll see if we can help you. Thanks, as always, to Rob for making this go so smoothly, Rebecca and Mark as well. Thanks again to Dan for joining me, and thanks to all of you for tuning in, and we'll see you next time.